that I had a mass in my uterus of retained placenta. And the very next morning, um, they, I had to have surgery. Hi everyone, today we're joined by Annie Funkhauser who had a retained placenta and is a postpartum sepsis survivor. So let's tune in to hear about her story. Welcome to the Twinkie Chronicles podcast where two twins are shedding light on the childbearing years. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and I'm joined by my friend Annie today. Hi. How are you today? I am doing good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for asking. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Let's start with a little bit of a bio about you and your family. So my name is Annie, and I'm a wife to my husband, James, and mommy to my daughter, Charlotte. I am a former police officer with a background in child protective services and domestic violence. And right now, I'm staying at home with my daughter. That's wonderful. So can you tell us a little bit about your birth story with Charlotte? Yes. So I will preface it by saying that I don't think that my experience is a little like weird. Like I feel a little bit of out of place in the birth trauma world um, because I don't have like a definitive answer of what happened. It's just kind of like... Mm -hmm a conglomerate of like unfortunate events that has a little bit of like, well, not a little bit, but a lot of medical malpractice sprinkled in it <laughs> um, just to make it a little bit more confusing. But I gave birth to my daughter at 35 weeks in one day. So she was five weeks early and she was born on March 12th, which was the day, well, March 12th, 2020, which was the day before the world like shut down because of COVID. Um, So I was admitted early on March 12th. So like, thankfully it wasn't like 11.59 on the 11th or we would have had to pay for that whole day. So it was, I literally was admitted at like 12.01 a.m. on the 12th. So that was great. Um, because <laughs> we all know how hospital bills are. <laughs> yeah, for so I sure. didn't at least get charged for that day. But um, I had been feeling kind of crappy that day. So when we got to the hospital, um, they checked, and I was four centimeters dilated. And one thing led to another. And after they did a test, they found out that I was group B strep positive. Um, but it wasn't until after Charlotte was born that they realized I had something called chorioamnionitis, which is where your placenta ruptures. So she, I don't want to say she came relatively quickly, but I didn't push for that long. I pushed for about 15 minutes. I started pushing at 12 and then she was born at 12, 15. And typically your placenta will expel on its own, but mine did not because it had ruptured. So the doctor had to manually extract it. And so she spent, it's considered, if you don't expel your placenta at 30 minutes after delivery, it's considered retained placenta, like in the medical mm-hmm. community. 
So she spent about 30 to 45 minutes digging for like ruptured placenta in my uterus. Thank God I had an epidural. <laughs> I just don't think oh, that like my. I I would have made it because I mean, even with the epidural, I could feel her digging in my uterus. Um, and she dug with her hands and like with the curette tools and she did a quick ultrasound of the area and she felt very confident that she had gotten everything out. And so Charlotte was sent to the NICU because she was five weeks early and she had a little bit of fluid in her lungs. Um, so I didn't get to hold her. They placed her on my chest for like, I mean, it was so fast and everything happened so fast that I, I don't really remember it. Um, mm -hmm. And I was also really, I, I look back on it now and I felt sicker than I see like how sick I felt before it, like right before I started pushing, I threw up seven times and then, wow. um, so they sent her to the NICU and then I just kind of, I mean, you just kind of wait until they send you to a room. Um, and so on the way to a room, cause they were waiting for one, they let me stop off at the NICU. And so I was able to see her at that point, um, couldn't hold her or anything, but they at least let me like look at her and she had the CPAP machine on her. She only had that for 24 hours, but, um, they sent me to a room and I still had a fever. So I was still sick. And the NICU rules are that you can't, you can't like visit your baby. If you have, you have to be fever free for 24 hours, essentially. So I held her, I think it was on the 15th, the 13th. I think it was on the 13th. Um, but I just felt really rotten. Like I never, I never remember feeling good. And I always remember like questioning, am I supposed to feel this way? Is this what postpartum is supposed to feel like? And since I was a first time mom, I really didn't have anything that I could compare it to. Um, and every time I asked a nurse or doctor, oh, this is normal postpartum. This is normal postpartum. Um, so I just took it in stride and it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to feel this way. And then on the 14th, they discharged me and we spent the majority, right? We spent about five-ish hours in the NICU so that I could hold her, like actually hold her. But even then, like, I remember holding her and just being like, man, like, I wish I could enjoy this experience, but like, I feel so awful and I don't know why like I mean I could I could barely hold her so we ended up going home around 6 30 and we were home for maybe an hour an hour and a half I had a shower um and I started to fever again mm -hmm. but it was really strange because I've acted I acted in a way that I've like never acted before I was very erratic. My blood pressure was elevated. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I was panicking. I'm, I'm just, it was really weird. Um, like I had my husband run a red light <laughs> to get to the hospital because I, I, I didn't know what was wrong, but I just knew something was wrong. And when I got to the hospital, 
um, the nurse, like, she came in and they wheeled me in um, and they started IVs right away and everything kind of went so fast. But I remember, I remember panicking when I was hyperventilating. I didn't know what was going on. And, um, they, I, I found out later that they wrote in my chart that I had anxiety and I've, you know, up until all this happened, I never had never been diagnosed with anxiety or anything like of the sort. Um, and so they just chalked it up as postpartum anxiety. And I, they did a culture and found out that I had, it took 24 hours to come back, but they found out that I had E. coli in my blood and in my urine. Um, and so they admitted me and I was there. They did an ultrasound on my chest. They did an ultrasound on my uterus. They did an ultrasound on my legs. They originally kept treating me for COVID um, because at the time it was so unknown. You know, nobody knew what was going on. But um, they, in the morning, decided that on the morning of the 15th that they were going to do a DNC to make sure that I didn't have any retained placenta. And... After that surgery, they told my husband that I didn't have any retained placenta, and so they were shocked by that, so they just scraped the lining of my uterus and diagnosed me with endometritis, which is just inflammation of the uterine wall. Um, And so after that, they took my white blood cell count, and it was 41 after surgery and 41 is incredibly high. Your white blood cells are supposed to be under 11. Um, and so they kept me for two more days and then sent me home on the 17th. So Mm -hmm. the 17th, 18th, 19th, and then the 20th, I ran fevers every night. Like I remember calling the ER saying, Hey, I'm (laughs) running a fever and I I'm taking Motrin and Tylenol around the clock and it's not helping helping I'm still having like low-grade fevers even with Motrin and Tylenol and they said it's not a big deal as long as it didn't get over 101 and then finally on the 20th I had a continual high it was a low-grade fever but I was taking Motrin and Tylenol around the clock and it was just over like 101 so I went in and the ER doctor examined me and said that the oral antibiotics that they sent me home on were failing me. So that night they flagged me for sepsis and I need to back up a little bit. I feel like I'm like not really making a lot of sense, but since COVID came in, my first visit, my husband was allowed to be with me when Charlotte was born. The second one he was allowed. So the 14th through the 17th, he was allowed to be with me, but not without like, they didn't of course make it easy. They made it very difficult for him to stay. And then my third visit, I wasn't allowed to have anybody with me, but he could go visit her in the NICU on the same floor. (laughs) Um, So 
that visit, the 20th through, I was released on the, or discharged on the 24th when I was flagged for sepsis, they put a midline in and I went home with intravenous antibiotics. Um, and I stayed home from the 24th until April 1st on March 31st, I had an appointment with my OBGYN because I still had this weird discharge and I was just in a lot of pain and I was still running fevers. So they wanted to do a biopsy of my cervix and I, I was in so much pain. I denied it. I was like, you can take a swab, but that's about it. Like I just can't, cannot do another procedure like that. So after that, the doctor called me and left a voicemail saying that I still had some white blood cells present. So she was going to get in touch with the infectious disease doctor to see if he would extend my intravenous antibiotics because I was getting ready to end them. Um, and that's kind of where that ended. And then the next day I called the way our insurance works is they assign like a, a nurse to your case. Like if you've been in and out of the hospital a lot and I hadn't called her or talked to her, my husband had, and he encouraged me to call her again or just to call her for the first time. So I called her and she encouraged me to get a second opinion. And this was kind of like the first time that my, <laughs> that I knew something was like really wrong because when I called to get the second opinion, that doctor was like, yeah, no, you need to go go somewhere else because you're not getting the treatment that you need. And um, when my husband decided to call, there's a hospital two and a half hours away from here, UVA. And that's like, there's also Fairfax, Inova, which is good too, but UVA is definitely the better of like the three hospitals in the area. And he called their infectious disease department department and they said that I needed to get there immediately. So um, my brother came and picked me up because my daughter actually came home on the 25th. So James had to stay here and take care of her. So my brother came and picked me up and drove me down to UVA and drove down to the infectious disease office. <laughs> I walked all the way to their office. And if anybody's like ever been to UVA, their campus is huge. So I like walked, I felt like to the end of the earth just to get to this office for them to say, oh no, you need to go to the emergency room. I was like, okay, fine. So um, I used the bathroom before I went back downstairs. And at that point I noticed like I had a lot of blood. Like I hesitate to say I was starting to hemorrhage, but there was a lot of blood that I had not had before. Um, and so I walked back and then we drove to the ER and the way it is, is you just kind of have to like drop the person off. Like there's nowhere to park. There's a parking garage, but if you're dropping somebody off at the ER, like you can't just like stay there. So um, I remember saying to my brother, <laughs> literally like right before I got out of the car, I was like, I hope that, I hope that it, it's not too far gone and they're going to tell me that I have to have a hysterectomy. And I said it like right before I got out of the car and mm -hmm. 
I got out of the car yeah. and I walked in and I had to go alone. Like, and it's totally like, looking back on it now, it's very like dystopian because it was in the very beginning of COVID, but right when people were, I mean, it, it was weird. It was like something out of a horror movie. Like I was flagged for COVID. They, you know, they're in these like yellow suits that, um, you know, you see in like Monsters, Inc. when, you know, a kid touches their clothing or like so that a kid doesn't touch them or anything. Um, you know, elevators are blocked off because they transported a COVID patient in them. And it's very, it's wild. Like it's really crazy and scary. Um, and I said this, but it was just very bizarre because I didn't have COVID. <laughs> um, I just had, I had a fever and I was bleeding out <laughs> and I, but they, they treated me like a COVID patient. Like the nurse would come in the room with like, you know, a, a mask, like a, a, like face mask on with tons of like dressings with like gloves all over. Like, it was just weird because I've, you know, was treated mm-hmm. like I was infected and I was just there for pregnancy complications. Um, and so they actually, after about four hours, they called like the hospital administrator and tried to get it overridden. So I was not flagged as a COVID patient. So then mm-hmm. they could just like go in and out of the room because they were wasting PPE at that time. Um, but it didn't take but eight hours. So I got there in the afternoon and then by eight or 10 at night, I had an MRI. And I remember the doctor or one of the doctors coming in because they also gave me an ultrasound before that. And she told me, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> um, she was like, I've, it, your uterus is very bizarre. Like it, it looks very weird. Um, and that was that. So then a couple hours later, I got in for the MRI and they did an MRI with the mm. contrast. The, the, yes. That's what it's called with the contrast. And found that I had a mass in my uterus of retained placenta. Hmm. And the very next morning, um, they, I had to have surgery and the, the way UVA, UVA works is they have a lot of resident doctors there. So I had, I had a lot of doctors on my team that were some were more seasoned and some of them were newly out of medical school doing their residencies mm-hmm. at UVA. And um, I remember about four, I think it was four or five doctors that came into my room that morning and they just were like, so here's the deal. Like, we have looked at it and tried, you know, a lot of things to, we've hashed it out a couple different ways, but we can try and save your uterus, but, you know, we, we can't guarantee it because we don't, you know, we don't know what it looks like. Um, there was another possibility that it could be cancer, but that, you know, 
was obviously on the back burner because I didn't have any symptoms or anything of that nature. So, um, one of the doctors actually started like crying when they were talking to me and because I couldn't have anybody there either. Um, which was really tough. Um, so when they sent me down for surgery, cause we had decided that we were going to, you know, if she could save my uterus, like that's what we wanted her to do. Um, and when she was prepping me for surgery, she came back in and she said, so I had another doctor check your MRI as well. And she feels like it's going to be a tight decision. She felt like, you know, we may not, they may not have been able to keep my uterus and, um, that was really tough. And like, there was another nurse that came into the room. And when she started to ask, or she asked me to start explaining it, like she started crying (laughs) and she was like, yeah. So like I've had a doctor and a nurse now start crying. Um, so I'm kind of like, um, I mean, I already feel like I'm going to die, but (laughs) you're definitely making me feel like I'm going to die even more. Um, and so I was put under and they sent me in for surgery and I woke up and turns out that the surgeon had actually called my husband in the middle of the surgery and said, if I, if I don't take her uterus out, she's going to die. But like, if you want me to save her uterus, I can try, but I'll, I'll open her body up to the infection that's in her uterus and it could spread. Um, so, I mean, I can't imagine how he felt like, you know, he's two and a half hours away taking care of our newborn, newborn, you know, living that single dad life, which he did great, by the way. Um, (laughs) go James. Yeah. (laughs) Like dad of the year award, definitely for him. And, um, you know, I can't imagine how, like, how he felt having to like make the decision between like, do I save her uterus or do I save her life? It's interesting that you say that because a lot of, when I was in the hospital, a lot of Eli's decisions were based on minimally invasive. And even like, I have someone close to me who had to have a hysterectomy during her first delivery and same kind of situation. It was her life or her uterus and her husband, she shared with me that her husband, um, has felt guilty about making that decision. And it's interesting to me that, you know, I talked a little bit about this in my episode of the ripple effect with whatever trauma and a hundred percent, our partners go through the trauma and our medical staff and our extended family and, you know, kind of everybody under that umbrella. And I think also like after I had my first, um, I had, you know, a failed induction. I only got to, I believe, five centimeters. And I remember it was the fourth morning that OB coming in with tears in her eyes and just like, mama, you gave it, you gave it everything you had. And in that moment, it gave me courage. And it just made me feel like, it made me feel seen and made me feel like, even though I didn't get what I wanted, I still tried my darn hardest. And I think that you did for Charlotte as well. Uh, It just, 
it's it's hard going through these situations, but you did it. Yeah, and it's over. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you say? And it's over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? (laughs) I mean, I can't I can't even say that I would do anything different because I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, You know, I the nurse. I had a couple different nurses who took care of me during my time at UVA. I wasn't discharged until the 5th. So I was admitted on the 1st. I had the emergency hysterectomy on the 2nd. And then I wasn't discharged until the 5th. But I had multiple nurses who, once again, in addition to the other ones, who cried and told me if I I hadn't come to UVA, I would have died. Like, there's no... I it's scary for me to like look back because there just would have been, I, I don't think that if I, I think, and I, I don't know because it didn't happen. You know, you can only what if it, but I don't think it's something that I could have been brought back from. Um, I think that the first time I went back to the hospital after she was born, I think I was septic then. And that's all speculation. I'm not obviously not a medical professional, but what I've read now about maternal, like postpartum sepsis infections is exactly what I experienced. And it's very interesting that they put it as anxiety um, because the symptoms are like erratic behavior, chest pain, like rapid breathing, high heart rate. And the entire time that I was in the hospital at the first hospital, my blood pressure was super low, which is a red flag for sepsis infections. And they just denied it and denied it and denied it and kept, you know, treating me for COVID, like expecting me to have COVID. I think I had three chest x-rays in my time at that hospital and and an ultrasound. Yeah, like I, I had, I had a baby, <laughs> you know, like the problem is coming from my uterus, not, you know, my lungs. Um, and so there's, you know, when they, the massive retained placenta was so large, it was as big as my fist um, and it had abscessed. So not only did I have the retained placenta, but it had abscessed. And I had a DNC where they completely missed it. Like, how do you have surgery on somebody and miss a fist-sized mass of retained placenta? So, I don't, the, the pathology came back and they determined that I didn't have a placenta in Creta and even the surgeon wrote in my records that I didn't have, like the placenta had not grown in enough to the uterine wall to be considered an accreta, which an inc- placenta, accreta, increta, and percreta, they're like different levels. So of the placenta growing into the uterine wall. So accreta is the minimal, most minimal amount. And then increta is a little bit deeper. And then percreta is where it's like completely gone, like grown through. So in those cases, typically you do have to get a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Like if you have something like that, you typically do because there's no way to separate the placenta from the uterine wall without hemorrhaging and bleeding to death. So, and I don't, 
I've never been pregnant before. I have no, I, I have, I had none of the things that say that you would get this pregnancy complication for. And everything was normal before. All of my maternal fetal medicine appointments, they were all normal. So it's like frustrating because I just feel like I'm in this like limbo of, I had this horrible thing happen and nobody can tell me, you know, conclusively happened. Yeah, that's, that's kind of. Yeah, it can be really frustrating. So were you diagnosed with accreta or were you diagnosed with accreta after the hysterectomy? I was never diagnosed with it at all. So in my medical, um, in my, my paperwork, the pathology paperwork that I got back from the surgeon and the pathologist, it says that my placenta, even with the abscess, was not grown in enough into the uterine wall to be considered an accreta. It was just, they described it as morbidly adherent. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, I do know that like my, I gave birth to her at 35 weeks. So obviously my placenta was, you know, in some sense, not ready to let go. Mm -hmm. um, so I think did that, you know, have an impact on it? Um, but wow. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You, like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And after I had Claire, you know, I was di diagnosed with endometriosis um, I think like six or seven days postpartum. And when we were first discharged, so she was born on a Wednesday, we were discharged on Saturday that I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday, but I remember telling the nurse, like, I don't feel well, like, I feel like something's wrong. And, you know, I said, I can't catch my breath. Um, you know, obviously my stomach hurts, but you know, I just had a C-section that's not too far out of the realm of normal, but you know, I just kept telling her, well, I don't feel well. I feel like I can't catch my breath. And we learned later on that Claire had bruised my ribs when I was pregnant. She kicked me in the ribs and, um, but this was different. It was like, I literally could, it wasn't like I couldn't get a deep breath. It was, I couldn't catch my breath. And, um, so the nurse came and like checked my pulse ox, which is the standard of care, but she didn't dig deeper. And the morning I went home, I just remember feeling really poor. So I think it may have been Friday because by the next morning I was just like, I just want to go home. Like, I just want to sleep in my bed, my own bed and see my dog. Like, I just want to go home. And so we go back Monday, we had her newborn appointment with her pediatrician and we go and I just remember going to the bathroom and feeling really like off and feeling a little feverish. And, um, but I thought, you know, I just nursed maybe, maybe like, maybe I'm just a little weak from nursing. So we come home and take my temperature. I had a fever. So we call the OB and the OB says, just take Tylenol. So literally one o'clock in the, the next morning, middle of the night, I'm sitting there arguing with my mother because I don't want to take my newborn to a hospital. But my mom is like, Kathy, you need to go. 
<laughs> so I get in the car and we go and sure enough, I have, um, I have, an, you know, an infection in the uterus and like, thank goodness that that ER doctor did her due diligence because she, you know, palpated my abdomen and was like, you seem a little more sensitive than you should. And she's like, you know, what? out of caution, we're just going to do, I think they did a CT. I can't even remember. Um, and see what's going on. And sure enough, something came back. What do you love most about yourself post children? So I've actually been thinking about <laughs> this question a little bit more since I sent this into you. My answer was pretty short for the most part, but, um, it's a really hard question for me because I lot I think a lot of times like, you know, people go through hard things and sometimes it's like a rebirth for them. Um, you know, they they learn from their experience and it makes them stronger. And mm -hmm. if I'm being completely honest, like it's totally taken the wind out of my sails. Like wow. I just feel like I'm like a shell of the person that I used to be. I'm not like as confident. I'm not, um, I had such bad postpartum depression and anxiety and PTSD from what happened that like I couldn't by September. So I had my daughter in March by September. I couldn't even go to the park and take a walk because I would have a panic attack and I've never, up until this point, I've never had anxiety or really anything like that. So this whole, you know, experience has really been tough because I'm just not like, it's, it's just made me, I feel like a shell of a person, but the one like positive thing is that it's really helped me like have a perspective shift of like what is truly important in my life where, mm. Um, you know, like this is a very small example, but I grew up, um, where in a household where, where it was very important to like, you know, always have the house clean, always have your bedroom clean. Like you can't leave the house unless, you know, the dishwasher is loaded, the floors are vacuumed, like all of these things. And they all took precedence over, um, the moment and like being in the moment of something, mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's been very like, I think the best way to, to describe it would be like grace giving is that like, I've had to like give myself a lot of grace with, I, you know, haven't been able to keep the house clean. I haven't been able to like, I haven't been able to take care of myself emotionally, <laughs> you know? So I've had a really difficult time taking care of everything else physically um mm -hmm. but in those moments I remind myself that like would this moment be better if the house was cleaned or would this moment be exactly the way it is you know right now with with toys on the floor and you know whatever it may be and so that's something for me that like it's just stuff you know, like if something gets broken, it's just a thing, you know, like there's m many more important things that are not tangible in life that I feel like that has been my biggest perspective or my biggest like 
change is that now I feel like I value things that are not material in nature, if that makes sense. Just a couple weeks ago, we had sick kiddos, and literally all day long, all we did was work cartoons. But that time with my daughter is priceless, and I put so much more value in that than, you know, mopping the floors or, you know, vacuuming or folding laundry. And it sounds like you're coming out on the other side of this too, even as traumatic and as hard as it's been emotionally and physically on your body. I mean, I think too often we tend to focus on the emotional side of, you know, whatever we're going through, but we forget that our body is still healing as well. Even just from having a baby, like people minimize And this is not everyone, but a lot of people minimize the toll having a baby takes on just your body, even if you have a quote-unquote picture-perfect vaginal delivery, no tearing, no complications. I've heard that after nursing, it takes two years, two years for your body to heal. And so if you nurse for a year, like Claire, I nursed 19 months. And I mean, I didn't plan well because I was nursing and pregnant at the same time. I did not give my body time to rest. But I mean, I don't regret that decision at all. I wanted my girls close in age. But I mean, and so we're what, two and a half years out now. So just now my body is like really healing. Take away all of the complications that you and I had. Like just now, we're just starting to heal. Are you still nursing, Charlotte? I am. Yeah. She just turned two. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like whenever you stop nursing is when your body is going to heal. I'm kind of like in a spot where I'm like, I'm ready, but she's like not ready. (laughs) Yeah. So it's hard because like, I think she's getting there though. I think that she'll, I think it's coming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me too, like weaning Claire was pretty natural we were going to Europe, so I wanted to have that tool in my toolbox with flying across across the Atlantic um, if she was super fussy. Um, but, like, with her, distraction worked really well with her. Like, it was yeah. – she would ask to nurse, and then I'd be like, oh, like, look at this shiny toy or, you know. You know, and that worked really, really great for her. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, I think, I think that was actually in one of your answers of like, Oh, the advice, what works for one person might not work for you. And what works best for another person may work great for you, but it might not be the best at the end of the day. And you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out what's best for you and Charlotte, but don't forget to think about yourself too, because it's okay to say like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We've definitely, this toddler phase has been very, um, and I think that's where like, I still, I'm still not out of, and it's so crazy because it's been two years, but I still really struggle with PPD, which is strange because I feel like, you know, it's been two years. I shouldn't struggle with that. Um, but something that's not talked about is the rage <laughs> portion. Oh yes. And, Cause your hormones, your hormones are yeah. going crazy and you don't, you're, you're learning who this new person as a mom is. Yeah. And, and it's so like, it comes so fast. Um, Absolutely. And so it's, this toddler phase has been really difficult just because it's like, 
you don't realize how long something is like building up um, until like you have that snap, whether it's mm-hmm. like typically I, she'll do something like we we're going through something with the dog bowl right now where she will stick her hands in it and put it in her mouth. And I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, stop it. Um, and I just, I don't know how to make her stop. Like, I don't know how to make her understand that that's like not good. Like that's bad. It's unsanitary. Um, and so that is one of the things that like immediately, like, I don't know, just like sends like a trigger in my brain. Um, and so, yeah, we've been working through it, but it's just, there's so much of it still there, you know, you'll have a good day and then something will happen. Like, I don't know, just the triggers are everywhere. Like if I take a shower and it's cold and the, the water is like really hot, but I just like can't get warm enough. That's very triggering because mm-hmm. the fever, like I would have a fever so much and I would remember like trying to take a shower and it would just never be warm enough. And I, I would be shivering in the bed and um, even in the hospital, like I, I would be so cold and nothing like they would have like 10 heated blankets on me and I just could not get warm. Um, your body remembers the trauma, right? The body keeps score. So, yes, absolutely. Um, so it's just been, it has leached over or bled into every piece of my life, mm-hmm. the experience. And so it's, it's just tough. <laughs> it is. So, it is. yeah. Well, again, I'm so sorry, but you're, you are doing it. Let me encourage you. You're doing a great job. Even if at the end of the day, thank you. You're so sweet. Um, Even if at the end of the day, the only thing you accomplished was giving your daughter a hug. Like that's still a win in my book. So thanks. (laughs) you're welcome. Well, thank you again, Annie, so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you everyone for listening. This is your host, Kathy Garrett from the Twinkie Chronicles podcast, where two twins are shedding light on the childbearing years. Bye-bye everyone.